following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Have you ever, um, ever tried to take a photograph of something really spectacular and you find that the results are completely underwhelming? Yeah, everybody's nodding. We all have, we all have cameras in our pocket these days. I, mean, I have an example which I'll show you in a minute. But first I want to try to tell you about it so that you can be disappointed in two different ways. <laughs> so I was driving out, just on Thursday, I was driving out to SUNY Brockport. Um, many of you know that I'm doing a master's in mental health counseling at Brockport. And I'm a little over halfway through, and I was driving down to Brockport. I was a little over halfway there um, for a 6.30 class. And on my way there, I was enjoying a sunset off in the distance. And I was not, just to be clear, I was very much not enjoying the fact that the sunset was happening on my way to a 6.30 p.m. class. I wish that were not true, but I can't help the march of time in so many ways. But I was enjoying this beautiful sunset, and it was um, it was giving off total magic hour vibes, right? So when I was an undergrad, I took a photography class, and um, one of the things they taught us is that horizontal light is very beautiful on images, on on figures and statues and things, which is why the, the morning and, and evening light, dawn and dusk, are such beautiful times to take pictures, not just because of the sun, but because of the way the sun is kind of raking across sideways. Uh, anyway, it was magic hour vibes, is what I'm trying to tell you. It was very beautiful. The trees were pretty. The clouds were pretty. Everything I was looking at as I was driving down this highway was beautiful. And then I thought, I saw somebody had pulled off the road to take a photo, which puzzled me for a second because, I mean, it was... It was a pretty nice sunset, but it's not like stop your car and take a picture pretty. And then I realized they were not facing the sunset. They were facing the complete other direction. And so I did what any good responsible citizen would do in that moment, driving 55 miles an hour. I turned around <laughs> to look behind me. Now, this is not recommended. If you're going to learn to drive soon, um, uh, don't do this. But I turned around just, just long enough to see the most magnificent rainbow I have seen in years and years and years, maybe my whole life. Now, I could not see all of it. I could just see the part that I could see while I was, you know, turning while I was driving too fast down the road. And it was not only the widest rainbow I've seen in ages, but also the colors were so vibrant and deep. And I guess by definition, a rainbow is all the colors of the visible spectrum, but you can't always see all of them in every rainbow. And you could see all of them in this rainbow. And so eventually, I, I kept kind of like, whoa, wow. I kept doing this thing, and I'm like, okay, this is really not safe. Uh, I pulled over and took a photograph myself uh, of this, um, this rainbow, which I turned out once I could stop and look at it. Not it was just the arc, and then it disappeared, but actually stretched across the entire length of the rainbow, across the horizon. Um, all right, so here's the photo. Uh, you can see it. I mean... It's an, it's an okay photo. It's not like hundreds of likes on Instagram photo, but it, you know, it might be in the 70s. <laughs> you know, it's pretty high for me. But it's also completely unsatisfying. It doesn't begin to do justice to the beauty that I'd actually seen uh, in real life when I looked at it, which is the way that it usually goes for amateur photographers who are taking pictures with their telephones. Now, <laughs> that sound makes me so happy. <laughs> you know, during the, the shutdown part of the pandemic, there was 
just months and months and months where I didn't hear a baby during any of my sermons, and it was so um, made me so happy the first time it happened, and it still makes me happy every time it happens. Never, by the way, if you're a parent of a baby or any child, never feel like you're ruining what I'm trying to do by um, by allowing your kids to be here and potentially make some noise. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is that the photograph is disappointing. I'm more of an artist of words, if you think about it. But um, even words fail me in a situation like this. I could talk for five more minutes about this rainbow, and we wouldn't get any closer to actually capturing it. It would just frustrate me and you even more than is already the case. What it would never get to is the feeling that I had looking at this rainbow which was a feeling of awe. And, and this is all to set up the idea that it's going to be kind of hard to talk about awe, which is the, the Artisan Church foundational value that is the, the one we're looking at today. This series called Foundations, we've been looking at the five foundation, foundational values of Artisan, awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice, one per week. And we have one more left next week. Um, today is the value of awe. And it's... Uh, it's not a word that we use all that much. But here's our definition of awe, and I'm going to read it. Actually, it says we, so we kind of all have to read it together. We humbly recognize the sovereign power, reverent mystery, and gracious wonder of God, who is worthy of our worship and full devotion. Thank you for joining me in that. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a child of the 80s and a little bit of the 90s, so what that, what, what that means for me is that the word awesome has literally no value whatsoever. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing and absolutely everything all at once. Um, it's like the word literally to, to children of the 2000s. But it, at one time, the word awesome did have a meaning, and it's that meaning that we could try to have in mind when we think about the value of awe. We just don't use the word very often. And so I'm going to try to give you some examples of what it might mean, all right, and what it, how we could kind of get to the idea of awe. I don't know how many of you do the uh, New York Times crossword as often as I do, but last week's New York Times Sunday crossword had in there the one of the answers was awe. Sorry if you haven't done it yet. Spoiler alert, but now you have a little a little hint. And the clue for the word awe was feeling while watching a volcanic eruption, perhaps. <laughs> Now, good crossword clues are supposed to make you have a few options, and I think awe is only one of the options you might have uh, for feeling that you have watching a volcanic eruption, but it is one of them. All right, so that's one way of thinking about awe. Here's another way. Have you ever seen those images on the internet? There's a million of them, of, the, of space with a little arrow that says, you are here, right? These are fun. The reason there's so many of them is because you can choose the scale that you want to use. You could, you could say, you are here just in... in um, the solar system, or in the galaxy, or in the um, whatever's next up on the list of space things after galaxies. <laughs> Here's another one, um, speaking of space. I love these images from the uh, NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, and I need to read to you the caption on NASA's website of this image, because I'll never it delights me in two ways, and I'll never get it right if I don't read it to you. So just bear with me. Called the Cosmic Cliffs, Webb's seemingly three-dimensional picture looks like craggy mountains on a moonlit evening. In reality, it is the edge of the giant gaseous cavity within NGC 3324. And the tallest peaks in this image are about seven light years 
high. The cavernous area has been carved from the nebula by the intense ultraviolet radiation and stellar winds from extremely massive hot young stars. Yes, that's, <laughs> that is the second way that this delights me. <laughs> Stellar winds from extremely massive hot young stars located in the center of the bubble along above the area shown in this image. Anyway, it's awesome. <laughs> or you could think about the feeling that you get when you walk into a 1,000-year-old cathedral. When I was on sabbatical in 2019, Tracy and I uh, went and hiked part of the uh, El Camino de Santiago pilgrimage trail in Spain, and there were cathedrals along the way. And we would sometimes stop into the cathedral and rest our legs and just sit there and look at the crucifix or admire the architecture. And what was so awe-inspiring to me was the idea that people had come into this room to worship Jesus since before the invention of the United States of America. People were adoring the, the body of Christ represented on that crucifix in that very room since before the printing press. It was amazing to me. Truly awe-inspiring. By the way, uh, cathedral architecture is in, it's intended to be awe-inspiring. We've kind of lost it in most of the Protestant world. I'm actually seeing that we have a little bit of it here. But in a traditional uh, cathedral, it will be a cruciform structure, which means it has a long piece and then a, another cross piece. What are those on the side? Are they naves or apses or something? I don't know. I'm a Protestant. But anyway, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. They have the side rooms. It's designed to be like the cross of Jesus. And where's the head? It's right there at the altar where the sacrament of communion is offered to the, to the faithful. And what happens as you go up to the ceiling is you see these flying buttresses in some cathedrals. I think that's the Gothic era term. But in any case, we kind of have them here, but that's supposed to, it's supposed to represent the rib cage of Christ's body. Right? The, the church is the body of Christ, and we mean that like socially in a lot of ways, but it's also like the church building is supposed to be the body of Christ, and that is an awe-inspiring thing. It, it's, it's why, uh, this is a religious experience in some ways. It's not just the language that we use or the songs that we sing or the texts that we read from. It's a religious experience simply from being in the space, or it ought to be. You're supposed to get the sense that going into a place like that or a place like this in one way or another that God so transcends human understanding and experience as to cause fear and trembling, those famous words from Scripture. Now, I, my theology leads me to say that, that that's not supposed to be fear out of the punishment of wrath or something like that, uh, although there's reasons why it's sometimes mistaken to be so, but rather an inescapable awareness of the sacred. That's the fear and trembling that I have in mind, that I think the biblical authors most often have in mind when they use that phrase. And that's one of the reasons why Hebrews 12 is the scripture that I chose to be used as today's main reading. Um, and if you found some of it kind of bizarre and somewhat alarming, that's it's by design. We wanted I wanted to wanted you to have that feeling. The book of Hebrews is a letter that's written to Christians who are um, especially Jewish. Now, all of the early Christians pretty much were Jewish, uh, and they began to form this this movement out of Judaism. Um, and so, all of the Christian letters have some of that in there. But this one is very targeted toward Jewish-Israelite practice and belief and understanding and imagery. 
And so the author of the book of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, is um, making all these references to the, the shared historical and religious experience of the people uh, in that community. And so it has more references to Judaism than the other New Testament letters. And it, and it speaks of things like this. A voice whose words made the heavens, excuse me, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. Some of you have that experience in your house. A voice whose words make the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. Some of the children are like, yes, my parents, <laughs> right? A voice so terrifying, it, 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 so terrifying was the sight, the author says, that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And then the author says, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And so as we move into this Christian understanding of these images and ideas, we see that some of it is going to be carried with us, that this, this reverence, this mystery, this awe is supposed to be part of our um, ongoing experience with God through Christ. And, and that's part of why I chose this passage. But the other reason I chose this passage is because it also speaks to the security that we have from placing our trust in Jesus Christ. And I think maybe should encourage us to be, um, not to do fear and trembling in the afraid way, but in the reverent way. Do you see that distinction? So this passage also says, you have come to Mount Zion. By the way, that's, I think, a, a juxtaposition, to use the literary critical term. It's a, it's a comparison between Mount Sinai, where the Moses shaking of the things happened. It says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So all of that is there. It's all swirling around. If, if it feels like I don't have a coherent one way of interpreting even just those 10 verses, it's because I don't. And that's part of what we're experiencing in the text is an awe, a mystery. And we should be reverent of that, not necessarily resistant to it. So we have talked throughout this series about how it is true at Artisan that our five foundational values, awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice, tend to have an ebb and a flow to them. For example, I shared during the community week that community, our value of community was much easier to accomplish when we were very small and we all lived in the same three blocks of the city of Rochester, pretty much. Community was very natural for us at that time. Now that we're larger, you know, we have things like two services sometimes of the year. Uh, and we don't always see each other as much, and, and people come and go, and we're, uh, it's, it's just harder to do community. We put the justice value in the list, not because it was going to be an easy slam dunk for us, but because you cannot escape it if you take the scripture seriously, and yet we had no idea what we were doing when we tried to pursue the foundational value of justice early on. And I'm happy to say now that we have this much idea what to do when we're pursuing the foundational value of justice. No, we have people now who are deeply dedicated to that. We're going to talk about justice next week, by the way. And it's not something that we're perfect at. We have a long way to go, and we always will, but we are more effective at living out that value of justice today than we were 17 years ago, right? All of that is to tell you this. My pastoral impression is that the value of awe right now is in a little bit of an ebb season for us in some of the ways that I have understood it. Right? So early on, we made lots of effort to make the space awe-inspiring 
in a beautiful way. And so we would have like two dozen, three dozen candles that got lit at the start of every service, right? And as I say that in the room, um, I don't want to perpetuate parental stereotypes, but the moms in the room are going, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah, well, we didn't have any kids back then to run around and knock them over and start a fire, right? Uh, and we love, I mean, I think it's clear that we love having the children as part of our community, but it has changed a little bit of what we do. We used to put cloth all over everything. Even when we came to this space, we used to drape cloth over the, the trusses in the room here, and then the fire marshal came by and was like, Mm-mm. no, you cannot do that. And we said, uh, please forgive us. We removed all the cloth, and then the fire marshal left, and we put it all back up. But the thing is, it was a lot of work to change it every liturgical season so it matched the colors of the Christian calendar. And we just kind of don't do that anymore. So the ways that we, I mean, we used to burn incense. And when's the last time you smelled incense at Artisan? Most of you are like, never, because we haven't done that in years and years. And we're doing less of that. I'm, I'm focusing on decor, but I think I could, uh, I could mention some other specific things, uh, and you might be able to as well. But as I was preparing this sermon, I was reminded of something that our leadership team and staff discerned at the retreat that we took last weekend, which was, in part, that we ought to notice the things that God is doing in our midst that are really thriving and lean into those things rather than clamoring after the things that we used to do or that we think we should be doing during this season. And I think when it comes to awe, as we begin to talk about it a little bit more um, even at staff meeting this week, I was like, you guys got to give me some ideas. Um, we started to think about some things that happen at Artisan that really do fulfill this foundational value, albeit in a different way than maybe what my 17-year-old pastor, I mean, 17 years old pastor, uh, have, <laughs> have been trained to look for. And so I'm going to turn it to you and ask you to give a couple of examples as the people of Artisan Church how have you experienced awe in this place, in this community? And I, the, the list of responses at the 9 a.m. service was so inspiring to me. So many people shared things that I wouldn't have thought of or um, thought of in a different way. And so I'm, I'm really excited to hear from you um, what you think. And if you want to type something into Zoom, you can do that. I'll try to read it out. Uh, and I will, rather than pass the mic around this time, I'll just re- try to repeat what people say. But okay. Did I give you enough preamble to think about your answer? What's something that you've experienced as awe-inspiring? Diana, yes. Um, I was having coffee at a coffee shop, and I had not found something terribly awesome. But um, I was watching a mother caring for a child around, and there was a little statue of a telephone. And I was thinking to myself, this baby is seeing the world for the very first time. Uh-huh. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Um, Diana was at a coffee shop and saw a mother and a baby, and the baby had a little statue of an elephant, and she realized this baby's never seen an elephant, doesn't know what an elephant is, and yet they were reaching out for it and touching the ear, and and that was awe-inspiring to you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful. Yeah, Scott? It's just awesome. Like, hmm. I hate to say awesome, but like, 
Thank you so much for sharing that, Scott. So I'll try to summarize. Scott um, said that they started coming here because of our LGBTQ um, inclusion and affirmation policy. But since coming here has started the Open Doors group for uh, LGBTQ people and their families and allies. And it's been, you said, totally awe-inspiring to be in that room. And really, have, it's, it's a very unique um, uh, privilege to be surrounded by people who understand your way of being in the world and your way of uh, being a faithful Christian or even just exploring Christianity. Uh, that is truly awe-inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing that and for being part of it. Yeah, Ken? I come at this from a, a, a little different angle um, because I have a very hard time having um, feeling Mm-hmm. You know, you are here, I kind of look at it and say, oh, that's funny, ha-ha. But I actually have to think about how far mm-hmm. those millions of light years are, four billion years of history maybe, and even more than that, the idea of God creating ex nihilo mm-hmm. out of nothing. You try to picture, well, what was that like? Our minds have no way to grasp Nothing that's, we, we think of like a big empty space, but if yeah. you think about, I mean, nothing is nothing. It's mm. not an empty space, it's nothing. <clears throat> it is no thing there. And um, I used to get like eternity scares, yeah. but thankfully my anxiety is better treated now. <laughs> but it's still, um, that I guess is the closest thing I can get to awe. At this point, mm. one of the things that I, I wish for and I've tried, you know, in my contemplative practice and just have a very hard time with it, some kind of experience of the transcendent of God. And um, maybe what I would say is um, I've learned that there are people, there are a lot of people who just have a really hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, contemplative practice, you know, try it, we can be honest, we can be sincere, and it just nothing happens. Mm. And that's okay too. I mean, you, can, you can appreciate the majesty of God and not be able to encounter that kind of a transcendent experience. It, it's, mm. it's okay. Yeah. By the way, you said nothing happens. The Latin word for that is nihilo. No thing. No thing happens. And yet, then the, then the universe emerges. So I'm trying to inspire you to feel optimistic. But um, Let me try to summarize what Ken said. I, I think um, 
the thing I'll focus on, because I think it's very helpful to a lot of people, is the idea of not really being able to feel awe, like to have an emotional response to something that's transcendent. And if you're one of those people, that's, that's, perhaps it's just who you are and, and how, how God made you. And it might be true for you, like it sounds like it is for Ken, that, that thinking about it, just trying to get a sense of the scale of the universe, um, is, is an intellectual, uh, reverence and mystery. And I, I think that's, that's valid as well. Um, Jolene mentions in the chat, uh, seeing Vila, uh, visit and preach. How many found that awe-inspiring? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Paul. Um, uh, so two things came to mind for me. One, being a part of the prayer team, one of the things that brings me a lot of awe is some of the prayer requests that take a long time. Mm. Like we pray for them for, some of them, over a year, and, and we get to see mm. what happens with some of those things. So two examples Pray for his uh, mom who asked for prayer for her daughter who uh, had a lot of seizures and all sorts of struggles of trying to figure out how to treat it and cope with it. And she uh, prayed that she could get a service dog. Mm-hmm. And it took over a year, but she recently got the service dog. Yeah. And, and just getting to hear about the impact on the family has been awesome. And another thing that came to mind was. Um, as many of you know, Dell uh, has been in school to become a physician's assistant. And so many times, like, we prayed for her exams for a long time, and she just passed her boards. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of awe in just thinking about, like, how present God has been with her in all the journey of, like, mm-hmm. being a mom and being a church leader and being grad school and, and all the challenges that has been. Yep. And then one other thing I'll share. Uh, I love getting to see <laughs> Ezra's reaction to music at church. Uh, mm-hmm. Like today, uh, as the last time the play, I was really beautiful. Uh, and she laughed once. Thank you. So the awe-inspiring um, privilege of seeing answers to prayer that take a long time to, re- to, to receive, yeah, over a year in some cases, and then seeing a, a child respond to the beauty of music, uh, even if it is just with one clap, <laughs> which I think, uh, is she sarcastic? Can you tell yet? <laughs> well, we could go on and on and on. Um, And thank you so much for sharing some of those experiences. It is very helpful for me as I sort of thought in my mind, we're in an ebb season for awe. Well, actually, we're just in a different type of flow season for awe. Things are happening um, that are awe-inspiring, and I'm so grateful for your sharing those stories. Um, And because your sharing was much more interesting than some of what I was about to say, I'm going to skip ahead to the end, right? And there was much rejoicing. (laughs) <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, the obligatory uh, Monty Python response. I appreciate that. Um, Jesus, in his teaching, sort of reimagined some of those fear and trembling type passages and images from the Hebrew Bible. And he 
said, he said them in a way that, as so often was the, the case, captured, I think, the essence of their meaning in a way that was new to his hearers, new to his audience, and can be new to us each, each time we encounter them. And so I had a passage picked out to share with you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that uh, for the sake of time and just move to this idea, which is that it is quite possible for each of us to experience awe simply in contemplating the mystery of our own salvation. Um, theologians and pastors tend to want to, you know, spill a lot of ink in trying to explain exactly how it is that Christ's death and resurrection save us from our sins. And there's all kinds of, I mean, books and books and books written on this topic. And I think sometimes the tendency is for people uh, who want to think carefully about salvation to try to turn it into a, um, a math problem, like a religious word problem that can be solved if you just have the right equation at your disposal. And if you, if you don't understand it, it's because you're not good enough at religious math and you have to come up with a more complicated equation to plug this idea into so it spits out the result that makes sense. And I think we should resist the temptation to try to do that because the way that the Bible speaks about how we are saved by Jesus' death and resurrection is has all the colors of the rainbow, if you'll pardon the comparison. It talks about it in so many different ways, and if you just maybe allow it to wash over you and be mysterious and confusing, you might be a lot happier than trying to, to figure it out in, in a clear way that can be like explained so succinctly that, that over coffee at Denny's, you, you, someone couldn't help but be converted by a little drawing on a napkin. It's just so much deeper than that. I think that the way the way that Christ saves us is less like a math problem. Nothing against math, by the way, except that it's not really my thing. Um, it is some people's thing, and that's wonderful too. But it's more like a poem. <laughs> it's more like a flower. I'm such a dumb hippie. Or maybe it's more like a meal. This is why we take communion every week, because it... it, it allows us not only to witness or hear about the mystery of salvation, but literally to taste it, to put it into our mouths and process it with our bodies, to receive in our own body the body and blood of the Savior. It's such a reverent mystery. It's such a mysterious wonder of God. Even though it's so simple, it's bread and wine, it's literally the stuff that was on the dinner table. And yet it's endlessly deep and mysterious and beautiful to us. And that is one reason why Artisan's communion table is open to all. Far be it from me or far be it from our community to try to come up with some, if you'll forgive, math problem to decide who can and cannot come and accept the invitation to supper that Jesus gave them. And so we're going to take communion together now. And if you are, if you've never done it with us before, I don't know how it works. Know that you are invited, and I'll say more about that in just a moment. But if you come through the middle aisle, you can take a piece of the bread. There's regular and gluten-free. You can dip it in the wine or the juice. Choose whatever's the best combination for you. Um, there's also the, the contained ones, which uh, if you want or need those, they will always be available for you. Um, whatever mode you use, uh, take it and and. Eat it and drink it, remembering that Christ's body was broken for you. Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. 
And now I'll read to you the beautiful Iona invitation to the, the sacred table. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you. It is our Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. And so our tables open. Respond to the Spirit as you will as we continue to sing. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.